Thanks, Sharon. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, lovely to see you all. Thank you very much for the invitation that came through Craig to uh, Pastor Craig to be here. And um, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm Jeremy, Jeremy Rice, and uh, here with my wife, Virginia, and um, who I'm not allowed to mention, judged by the expression on her face. <laughs> and I'm a hospital chaplain at the regional hospital, and um, uh, many of you would know, but some may not, that uh, you actually support me prayerfully and financially um, as hospital chaplain there. So thank you very, very much for that. Um, Sharon's already uh, prayed, so uh, speaking on, on that passage um, from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. You, you may like, like to, uh, to look that up. Um, and as you can see, I've, I've entitled this um, Generosity. Um, but before I, I start, I'd, I'd like to um, give an acknowledgement that much of this sermon is taken from a sermon preached by um, Dr. David Seckham, uh, who was the acting dean at the Anglican Cathedral uh, at, at the time. And it is used by permission. I did check with David. He's a, he's a Bible scholar. Um, there are uh, a, a number of reasons um, why people say they won't become a Christian. Um, sometimes it's because they don't know what a Christian is. Um, sometimes it's because they do know what a Christian is, but they just don't believe uh, what we believe. Uh, sometimes it's because they, they, um, uh, they do believe it. Uh, they know what it is. They do believe it, but they don't want to change. And um, here's, here's, you may be able to think of others, but here's another one. Um, some people who are not believers know that um, Jesus said something about sell your possessions... And give the money to the poor. And so they think, yeah, well, Christians don't do that, I don't think. So if Jesus said that and they don't obey Jesus, well, they're hypocrites. And I don't want to become a hypocrite, so I'm not going to join them. That's an, another reason. And I've actually, uh, actually seen that. You know, Somebody came along to somebody washing their car, a Christian, and said, give me your car. Yeah. And, uh, yeah wouldn't share his car. So he just sort of went off thinking Christian, that Christianity is a load of rubbish. Uh, so it, it's extreme perhaps, but I want to talk about generosity. Um, it doesn't say that you have to give everything away, everything. You know, when uh, at the end of John's gospel, Peter's still got a boat. And um, if you gave everything away, like everything, and you're just sort of standing there in, 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 in T-shirt and shorts. Um, your home, your food, your, your money, uh, everything, all your possessions. You just had a massive garage sale and you gave it all away. It'll go pretty quickly, wouldn't it? House, free. And then you yourself would be the recipient or, or need to be the recipient of charity. Um, it would be a difficult thing. And you may have responsibilities to those who are, are vulnerable, elderly children and things like that. So anyway, I haven't got to the, you know, the very bottom of this. I'm never happy about this and think, <laughs> I've got this generosity thing sewn up before God. I never think that. And I struggle. Remember the widow's mite a little bit further on in Luke, Luke 21, 1 to 4. She, gave, she was out of her poverty. She gave all she had to live on. So there's a challenge there. Anyway, um, you know, there is some truth, though, uh, a little bit further on uh, in this chapter we're looking at, chapter 12. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that 
will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. It does say that. It doesn't say you have to sell everything. Maybe I'm splitting hairs, I hope not. It's not a requirement to give everything away, but to be generous, there's no doubt about that. No excuse for not being generous. That I haven't got all the answers. So looking at Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, particularly the first couple of verses. So um, in verse 13, someone in the crowd, huge crowd there, massive crowd, um, and Jesus got his disciples around him. Um, he says, this man says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So sadly, um, money can set people against one another. Uh, even brothers and sisters, um, there's uh, that old solicitor's saying, where there's a will, there's a relative. And the man who calls out sees Jesus as a teacher with moral authority, and maybe his is a genuine case of injustice. Um, and he thought, if Jesus could just speak to my brother, he would sort it out. But Jesus refused to get involved. And instead, he replies with a warning about greed. Maybe just looking at this without knowing all the details, it sounds a bit unfair telling somebody who's suffered a genuine injustice not to be greedy. Um, or using the occasion as a launch pad for some teaching about possessions and greed. Nevertheless, there is a lot in what Jesus says. Um, then he said to them, so certainly to the man who called out, to his disciples. Maybe this is carried out to the huge crowd as well. Not just the man who asked the question. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Um, one translation, the, the new NIV. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Um, the, uh, you would have heard maybe of the millionaire businessman, John D. Rockefeller. Um, he was... Um, around uh, sort of second half of the, roughly speaking, second half of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. He, um, so far, is the richest American who has ever lived. His wealth was 2% of, of, of the American, the whole economy of America. He owned and ran Standard Oil, which had a, a, a monopoly. And he was asked, he was once asked, how much money is enough? And he replied... As you can see, just a little more. Whether the man who addressed Jesus was greedy or not, we're not told. But Jesus does use the occasion to raise the subject. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And that, um, that double warning is the strongest warning formula used anywhere in Jesus' teaching. So um, you know, Jesus often says, watch out or, or beware. But this double warning is the strongest anywhere in the Gospels. So Jesus is passionate about this. Passionate about this. And we've got to work out why. In the parable that follows, uh, that of the, the rich fool, Jesus is giving them, uh, uh, the people listening, an extreme example. Even when somebody has abundant possessions, even when somebody has much, much more than enough, here, the rich farmer is an example. Somebody who's not in need, somebody with surplus, somebody with everything and more to spare. Jesus says in, in that case, even in that case, a man's life, a person's life, a woman's life, a child's life does not consist 
in the abundance of their possessions. The assumption that Jesus is attacking is that um, life does not come from possessions. It doesn't uh, mean the more possessions that you have, the more life you have. That is what Jesus is attacking. No, he is saying. But why? Why such a strong warning? Why the strongest warning here? Why is the man in the parable colliding with God's judgment in a most frightening way? The answer, Dr. Second says, is that um, it is in the Greek word uh, commonly translated life. Uh, There are three words used in the New Testament for for life, three Greek words, all translated life. Um, There's bios, from which we get biology, and um, that that just usually means um, uh, how you you earn your living, how you you keep going, um, that that sort of thing. Um, Then there's the word um, psukos, from which we get psychology, and uh, that's often translated soul. And it mean, if, you haven't, if you haven't got that, if it's taken away, then you, you die. And that's used very commonly in, in the Gospels, in, in, in the New Testament. But that's not the word that you use here. The word that's used here is Zoe, from which we get the girl's name, Zoe, and also um, zoology. And uh, what that actually means is um, abundant life. Um, abundant life, a rich life, quality of life. It's um, very common on the name, the lips of Jesus, and he often uses it with the word eternal, eternal life. Eternal life sounds like life that goes on forever. I was talking about this with a truck driver one day, and he said, eternal life. So does that mean I have to keep on driving my truck forever? I said, no, no, no. What it means is... A, a, a full life, uh, and yes, it it does go go on forever. Um, when Jesus says, uh, "I have come that they may have life and have it to the full," the word "life" there is the Zoe word. He means life, um, fill full and rich and 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 flowing over an abundant full life, um, a quality of life that that we enter into when we become Jesus' disciples. It doesn't end when we die. And yes, it does go on forever. It's the life of the kingdom of God. Jesus also uses that, that Zoe word when he says in John chapter 5, um, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, eternal Zoe, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life, to this abundant life, this full life. That's the word that he uses uh, there in John chapter 5. By believing in Jesus and believing in the one who sent him, the heavenly father, um, then you've crossed over, that person has crossed over from death to life. And um, so a man's life, a person's life, a woman's life, their zoe does not come from the abundance of their possessions. And that helps us understand um, why greed is such a problem. Not to Jesus, but to us. The person who thinks um, that uh, they will have um, zoe, that they will have abundant life um, through more possessions, is not going to be very interested in Jesus' offer 
of an abundant life, of a, a rich quality of life. God made us, um, God made us for a, a purpose, and the center of that purpose is to know Him, to know Him. And, and to enjoy everything else with him. So it stands to reason that we will, we will never find the fulfillment of, we, that we seek apart from him. Because we were made for him. Life, real life, quality of life, true life comes from friendship with God. Intimacy with God. And the person who feels that they'll have life by the next acquisition is going to have their... Uh, no, well, they're not going to be looking in God's direction. They're going to be looking at the catalogs, at the internet, and uh, you know, in, in, in the shops, um, in the showrooms. And uh, uh, that's why in, in other parts of the Bible, um, such as uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, or Ephesians 5, verse 5, the, um, the, the greedy person, the person who is a captive to greed, is called a, 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 an idolater, somebody who's idolatrous. Somebody, it's, it's idolatry. It's, it's looking uh, somewhere else other than the true God uh, for life. And, and, and that is why greed is so dangerous. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Earlier, I mentioned uh, John D. Rockefeller, who was once asked, how much money is enough? And you will remember just a little bit more. And that may be the mentality of some of the very, very wealthy but it can also be a problem for all of us. And the multitude of people who crowd our city's shopping uh, malls can bear witness to this. Sure, some people are there um, because uh, they're there to get what they need and go home. Uh, but many are escaping um, their empty lives. And they're thinking that this thing or that will make them happy. And well... There is a shot of satisfaction in bringing it home and unwrapping it and setting it up. But the happiness doesn't last long and soon they're back in the shops. As a nation, we're drowning in things. Uh, we fill our houses and our cupboards and our shelves and our drawers and our sheds and our garages with things till there's no more room. And, and then we'll have to either throw some out or um, build another shed uh, get a bigger house. And I'm not saying that I'm immune. I'm in, in the culture and in the society. And I, I used to think, um, going back a few decades, and maybe not so long ago, that a bigger motorbike, I'm a you know, motorbike nut, a, a bigger motorbike would be, you know, like more life. It would be better. It, was, it would be wonderful. <laughs> now I'm older. They, they're getting too heavy. But... That's what I thought. And then when I got a bigger motorbike, I used to work two jobs and things like that. To, and when I got it, it, it was exciting, but it just, yeah, there was something missing. That was before I became a Christian. And even as a Christian, still the temptation is there. Um, and it's, it's, this is a little bit nuanced here. Um, I don't want to say if you, if you, and I don't think the scripture says if you want things, that is necessarily a, a sin. If I read a bit more um, of that passage that, that Sean read to us when we were talking about giving, generosity, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you look at verse 17 on the, on the screen there, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul's telling Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world 
not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is not a miserly God. He doesn't resent us having things. He doesn't want us just to be existing just one little minuscule above starvation. No. Um, God is generous, an abundant God, caring, loving. Um, But when the desire for more and more becomes our path to life, if we think that that's where we're going to find quality of life, that having more is going to fulfill us, give us life to the full, then it becomes our religion, our God. And I agree with Dr. Seckham and fear that it has become religion for many Australians. Not all, but for many. But it's a temptation for all of us, for me, for you. We all know that feeling. If only I could get one of those. But what is the answer to that temptation? And I agree. I don't think we'll get very far with just struggling not to accumulate. No, no, no. Not going to get that. Not going to get that. Not going to. The path forward is to realize where fullness of life is to be found. And the fourth century bishop in North Africa, Augustine, said of God, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That, that desire for more, that restlessness, that feeling that we're, we're strangers is, is um, somehow in, in society and looking for different things to fulfill us um, is, is never going to be fulfilled until we find our life in God and really enjoy our God Press into him. Discover that he's got a purpose for your life because he has. And uh, living your life to fulfill that purpose. Um, Living for God. Loving him with all your heart. Living for others. Loving them as you love yourself. And enjoying the gifts that God showers upon you all, all along the way. Counting your blessings. Experiencing him. Meeting our needs. Giving thanks. And a thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. Looking for those blessings along the way. Not being blind to not thinking, well, I've earned that. I deserve that. I'm entitled to that. But it's so much richer knowing that God gave it to you. And having your heart filled with thankfulness for for the big things and even the little things to notice them. Well, that's real life, the kingdom of God life. Walking with God, enjoying the things he gives you along the way, pressing into him, loving him, a deep, close relationship. We sang about deeper, deeper, deeper into the love of God and loving him. And pursuing um, life like that, pursuing it in God, in Um, loving him, loving each other, will protect us, will free us from the tyranny of greed uh, and possessions. Well, to the farmer um, in the parable. He has a bumper crop, huge crop. Nothing wrong with that. It's God's gift. Um, Some people think that it's a sin to be wealthy. Mm. But no, Um, wealth is God's gift. If you have it, it will give you possibilities um, beyond other people um, who, who, who haven't got such an abundance. Um, 
I mentioned uh, a couple of times now uh, John D. Rockefeller. And uh, how much is enough? A few dollars more. And that's a, a famous saying that I've, I've, I've known for decades, but I looked into it a bit more. You know, I, I wikipedia him. He was a, a devout Baptist. And yes, um, the first sort of 40 years or so of his life, he lived to be about 96, um, he spent accumulating massive, unbelievable wealth. Um, he, first of all, with, with, with uh, his oil business, um, it was used... Um, for, for lighting. There was a huge demand, but then as the automotive industry got going, uh, he revolutionized uh, refining um, oil in, in, into petrol. He, and, and he was criticized for uh, and his massive company for strong arm tactics and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, fixing things so that uh, he would get richer and richer. And it really did see, he would seem as though he was dedicated to a few dollars more no matter how much he had. But I read on, and he seemed to spend the second half of his life giving it away. He, he richly supported his, his church and Christian endeavors, outreach, and he, he gave massive quantities um, to... He created foundations for medicine, education, and scientific Research. So it's not a sin to be wealthy, um, as long as that is not what you put your hope in. And he didn't. So and it may be an exception there, but for all of us, a, a challenge with, with, with what we have and what we're going to do with it. Um, well, uh, so what's wrong with a farmer? Well, he has this conversation with himself that sort of um, gives him, gives him uh, away. He says... Uh, um, that's Rockefeller. Uh, th then he said, uh, what, what shall I do? I'll, uh, you know, build, build, build bigger barns and, 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 and store all my surplus there. Well, um, maybe there's nothing wrong with that either, as long as you don't put your, your hope in it and know that your, your life comes from God. Um, Dr. Seckham, who for 20 years was the principal of George Whitfield Theological College in South Africa, um, Cape Town, um, he said that he thought that um, in, in countries like Somalia and other countries, if when they had a good crop, if they had built barns and stored it, then that might have helped them out in, in times of, of, of famine that, that seemed to suffer every, every three or four years. So... Uh, what, what is wrong then? What, what is wrong? Well, um, he says, I'll, I'll say to myself, um, literally um, to my soul, um, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's where the problem lies. Not in eat, eating and drinking and being merry. We all need to eat and drink. But he has no thought of God. He has no need of God, he thinks. His wealth promises him all the life that he needs. He thinks life comes from his possessions. His security comes from his possessions. He sees his possessions as a guarantee of a good life. To think further afield than his own enjoyment doesn't occur to him. The sufferings of the world are shut out. He's insulated from it by his prosperity. And so the kingdom of God 
that Jesus announces, Jesus is the king and God's kingdom has arrived, is irrelevant to him. And the frightening thing is that the man Jesus describes could sound very like the average Australian. Not every Australian, of course not. But who wants God when everything that you want is here? And if you haven't got it, well, you can dream about it as you look through the showroom window or wherever. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Literally your soul, your psuche. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus is using a commercial term here. Life is alone. And tonight, the bankers are going to foreclose. God calls the man a fool. It's a, um, a moral judgment in the Bible, um, such as Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. He lives as though there is no God. But there is. For many Australians... Generally speaking, our back is turned on God. So our backs are turned on life, where life is really to be found. Dr. Seckham says that he might be wrong, but he thinks that the parable, in the parable, the sudden death of the farmer is God's judgment on a worthless life. When God's patience runs out, he calls in the loan. And the man is found to be bankrupt. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He's done nothing with his life that is worth anything. He could have been rich towards God. What a tragedy. And Jesus concludes, this is how it will be with everyone who stores up things. The, the word there for things has the idea of treasure, the original word, who stores up things, stores up treasure for himself, for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And he's talking there about the judgment of God. I find this, I don't know about you, extremely solemn. And I am so grateful for the grace and mercy of God for where I have been selfish or thinking an abundance, something would give me more life and yearned for that rather than a deeper relationship with God. I'm so grateful for his wonderful love and grace and mercy that he died on the cross for you and I. I am so grateful. But um, back for the passage. Treasure is what you have over and above your needs. We all need plenty of things. We need a home. We need a car. Uh, we need food and water and clothes and things. We need our savings. Some of us need our pension. But for many of us, me, 
We have much, much more than that. We have treasure. And what will we do with our treasure? What will we do with our surplus? That is the question. I've noticed as I get older, it can be a particular problem in older age. We no longer have the strength or the time to recoup losses. And uh, we don't know how much we are going to need because we don't know how long we're going to live. Uh, and that can mean that we tend to hang on to it and get a bit stingy. But for all of us, whatever age we are, to hang on to it, is, is that what it means to be a disciple of Christ? Is that what it means to be rich towards God? Is that what it means to seek first the kingdom of God? Sometimes going beyond what makes sense to others. I remember again the widow's mite, two small copper coins. Helping the needy, pouring out that love to God with a, with a joy and a cheerfulness and a trust to have wisdom about this, true wisdom. So as we wrestle with this, we have to ask ourselves, am I worshipping the God of mammon? Am I a captive of greed? Jesus says, yeah, seek first God's kingdom. Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It is lethal. I'll pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you so much for all your blessings to us. And pray that we won't be racked by guilt or be thinking we've got to give away things that we've put aside for, for good reasons to, to, to help those we're responsible for or that you don't want us to enjoy life. You're not a miserly God. You're a rich and generous and bountiful God. But help us always to know where true life is to be found and for our finances to show this. Make us rich towards you. We pray that we won't be taken captive by possessions or greed. And we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his all that we might have life, true life, abundant life, eternal life, life with you. Amen.